Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call to join Allworth's Money Matters. Call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Hey everyone, this is Scott Hansen with Allworth's Money Matters. Uh, you're hearing one of our best of shows on this Thanksgiving weekend and hope everyone's having a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. But Pat and I did want to offer our best wishes to you and your family. Uh, and look, if you think this podcast is good, share it with someone who you think could also benefit from the advice here. So, uh, and when you're finished listening, please give us a review. We always appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Welcome to All Worth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. Glad you're taking part of the program today. Myself and my co-host, both financial advisors, certified financial planner, charter financial consultant, and um, we work with long, people, longtime advisors. We work with people just like yourself. We've seen almost everything. Every once in a while, someone calls with a situation that we've yet to encounter, but it's yes. pretty rare. Yeah, I've seen a lot. Yeah, we've seen a lot yeah. on all sides of both things. good and bad. Both good and bad. Both people. Money, come- you know, money's a funny thing, Pat. Because sometimes people with, with they get additional dollars, it's highly beneficial to them for a lot of reasons. Yes. Others, it's completely detrimental. Well, I think money makes people more of what they already are. Can make more people more yeah. of what they already are. That's a if you're generous. Person, you have more money, you'll probably be more generous with your finances. Yeah. If, if you're, you're a, greedy, you'll probably even be more greedy. If you're a jerk, you're just a jerk at nicer places. <laughs> but you're probably a bigger jerk because you think you're something special. Well, maybe. You have a couple bucks now. Yeah, well. It's funny. The wallet, and then when people inherit money, they do weird things too. They do. They do. They do. I talked to a young man this last week. He's 19, college, father passed away. He inherited mm. some money. Um, I appreciated what he said. He said, you know, there's not a lot of income in the family. So um, I've been trying to qualify for f- federal aid, but because of this inheritance, it's I can't qualify. So that's the way it works. Was inheritance enough to like set him up for life or no, just no, no, no. Wasn't just even enough, that much. Yeah. Just enough to actually pay for his college. I'm like that's how it works. That's how it works. So he's going to have to use his hair. His hair is going to go. So what? It's good for him. Well, it's better than blowing it on something else. <laughs> oh, <I> right? Guess, <laughs> <that's> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember a client, um, they'd inherited some money and they were, they their kid was like sixteen, I forget though. His allowance was like fifteen hundred bucks a month or something like that in high school. This is many years ago, and I'm like, what? That's not good. No, I said is he must be one of the most popular kids. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah right. he's the one who's got all the money and and they, his they he got some special motor for his Mustang and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, this isn't right. good. This is not good. Not good for the kids. Anyway, I don't know why I started there. All right, but I did. Well, but instead, let's take calls. Questions at moneymatters.com. If you've got uh, uh, something you'd like us to uh, discuss on the program, questions at moneymatters.com. Or you can call us, 833-99-WORTH is our number. We're going to start off here with Pat. Pat, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Hey, good afternoon, Pat and Scott. How are you today? We Actually, really good day. <laughs> I'm well, thank you. How can, can we help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But first, uh, thanks, thanks for the show. I've been listening for seven, eight years now and uh, really enjoy it. I find it very educational and uh, also entertaining. Well, well thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that. It's one of our favorite hours of the week, I got to say, <laughs> work-wise. <laughs> so um, I'm currently faced with a pension buyout decision that I hope you guys can help me with. Okay. So... Here's all the relevant information Thank you. Uh, surrounding that decision. I'm currently 58, single, no kids. I'm in relatively good health, uh, but I was adopted, so my biological family longevity is unknown to me. 
I do have a couple chronic conditions that are well managed, and my doctors assure me that I should expect a normal life ex- expectancy. Okay. okay. So I separated service in 2012 from this former employer. And uh, ever since then, my plan has been to wait until age 65 to begin receiving the uh, monthly payout or monthly pension payments of $3,541 per month. Um, That's single life only payout. And they've just recently given me an offer to buy out that pension of $341,000. And that was at age 65, was 3541 Right. And you're 58 now. And then the right. lump sum was how much? 341 And did they give you did, did they give you a number if you were to take the pension today? Yep. And what was that? And that's $1,741. Okay. So I'm beyond, I'm currently beyond the earliest benefit commencement date. And that number is no different than if take this offer off the table. If I had called them up today and said, I want to start my pension, it would have been 1740. So they basically, they come out and stated, um, we're going to give you an option to take a lump sum. They want to get you off the books. That's right. Yeah. Right. Cause they take the the investment risk and if it doesn't work out, they, they eat it and you're, you haven't even yep. been around 11 years, right? And tell us about the rest of your situation. Yeah. So um, currently my investments total uh, just about $1.4 million. And that's $1.1 in a traditional 401k or just under $1.1. I'm just giving around numbers okay. here. And then uh, I have a Roth 401k and a Roth IRA, and the Roth money totals $260,000. Okay. And I have $60,000 in a brokerage account, and that's the $1.4 million that's invested, and I have uh, about $80,000 cash. All right. And by the and way, my- excellent job uh, by giving us all the relevant information without us asking a single question. <laughs> I, I, well, <laughs> I suspect that you've heard people call this show before and ask this question. Yes. Yes, I have. In fact, uh, just last weekend show had uh, had this same question come up by a 70 year old man. So um, the uh, the home is it paid for? It is not. I currently owe one hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars, and its value is somewhere between one point four and one point five million. And uh, what's the interest rate? Four percent. I almost didn't ask the question because I assumed it was low. Um, yeah, right, right. I didn't take advantage of the low interest rates we had a couple of years ago. I didn't get on that train. Oh, well. It's better than having a six and a half percent current one. So. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. So, what it is so how is your uh, 401k uh, managed now? Is it what percentage is in equities uh, yep. and what percentage is yep. in bonds? Yep, yep. So, if you take all my investable assets, I'm currently invested 65% equities, 30% bonds, and 5% cash. And over the course of the last seven years, I've been paring back that equity exposure as I'm approaching retirement. And my plan has been that I would retire at 62 and uh, live off my 401k assets for three years. And then at 65, start drawing Social Security and the pension. What's your income? What's your income today? It varies between 170 and 180, depending on the annual bonus. Okay, and and just speculate, if you will, for a minute. With with your portfolio at 60% stock and 40% bonds and cash, what do you think the long-term rate of return will be over that of the rate of inflation? 5%, 6%, 7%? Over inflation, oh, no. 3%, 2%? Yeah, over over inflation, yeah. maybe three percent. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get a feel on expectations. Right, right, um, right. And I I think you know over the course of the last ten years we've experienced outsized gains in the market. So I and you have no kids, right? No kids. That's and so, true. if you were to die today, where would these assets go? 
It were, right. So it would uh, go to my mother and my sister. And, um, you know, the 1.4 that I currently have should be plenty. It's not like they would be going, oh, if only he took that $341,000. <laughs> so there's there's right. two ways there's two ways to calculate this. First of all, is to figure out uh, what's you know what kind of interest rate would you need to earn to have a net present value of seventeen forty one a month for the rest of a normal your normal life expectancy. So right? like if I took this three hundred thirty uh, three hundred forty one thousand dollars and I put it in the bank, and yep. I looked at your normal life expectancy and said, yep. okay, I'm going to dole out seventeen hundred forty one dollars a month. What kind of rate of return do I need so that on your dying day, based on a normal life expectancy, the account is zero at that dying day? 5%. Thank you. It's right around there. What kind of rate of return? And then the second thing you look at is a hurdle rate. The hurdle rate. If you had the lump sum, what kind of rate would you need to to earn in order to maintain that principle and have that same distribution? And what was the number you came up with, Pat? Between five and six. Yeah, six point six point uh, one, one is what I got. But wait, yeah, yeah, six point one two percent. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like a very fair offer. You know, I used several online calculators. I did a Excel spreadsheet. Have you looked to see? Value. Have you looked to see what a commercial annuity would provide? In other words, if you went to an insurance company and said, "Here's three hundred forty-one thousand uh, dollars," what would you give me in a single life annuity? Because yeah. I have a feeling that the lump sum's a good deal right now. Yeah, I, where the interest rate environment is. Yes, all right. I, I would take this, and I didn't think about a commercial annuity, Scott. Why do you? Why? Why you're making comparison? Well, because to comparison. If, you would be yeah. a fool. Like if you, if if you can take three hundred forty-one thousand dollars lump sum and buy a commercial annuity and get. $1,900 a month instead of $1,741, you'd be a fool to take the monthly pension. That's right. So there are times when you are a fool to take a monthly pension. So you could go online and say, if you can get in the something open greater with no additional risk, like why wouldn't you do that? In the open market. So you would go online and there'll be a bunch of calculators there and you can go to a no fee a life I, I remember there was a time when we had clients that we can take a lump sum and buy U.S. government bonds and have a higher rate. Anyone who took a monthly pension at that at that period of time, they were they were ignorant or foolish. Okay, one so, of the two. So the, the so that is an alternative. My guess is that a commercial annuity would actually provide a higher income. I think so, which would lead me to believe that if that's the case, then. Taking the monthly pension, you'd have to, if you like it so much, why don't you take more of your lifetime savings and buy more of that? But I don't think that's the answer. No. What would you do in this situation? I would take the lump sum and I'd roll it into an IRA. I would too. And I'd manage it just like the rest of the portfolio. I would too. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, I hadn't thought about checking out a commercial annuity. I'm not saying that, I'm not recommending that that you should, because I think our recommendation would be, in your situation, Take given the, your, your savings, given your sophistication with your your knowledge of financial markets, the way you've structured your portfolio, you know exactly what's going on. I have a high degree of confidence that you will manage these dollars well. And I think you've got a greater chance of a of, of, of better outcome by taking the lump sum. Had this, caller, had your, this call gone differently and you're like, well, I'm not sure how my 401k is invested it's in something called growth, something growth. We would probably, we would <laughs> probably have say, a tendency to, to steer the, you more in the. Yes. Cause we've seen people who don't know what they're doing, take a lump sum and do foolish things with it and destroy their capital. So the answer to your question is based upon those numbers, take the lump sum, roll it into the IRA and just play it like you were normally. If you were going to retire in three years, retire in three years, it's just another form of income. Okay. Um, two, two thoughts come to mind. One, you know, the commercial annuity avenue, obviously I wouldn't do that, but, you know, in my mind, it's not an apples to apples on the risk comparison because, you know, if I would be subject to the claims paying ability of the commercial That's life right. insurance That's right. company as opposed to the PBGC taking over 
for my company. That's right. That's right. But there but, are there but are the, there are limits on your PG and yeah. PBGC based upon yep. your age at retirement and the pension. Yep. So and, th- and I looked at that, and the 2023 values, you know, this this pension is you're under under that. Yeah, you're it's, under. it's under that. So I don't think there would be any reduction. Yeah, but but we're not saying that. We were just. But you can also right buy now. a couple. Right. You can you can these these there's insurance pools that inject protect insurance annuitants uh, that, that came out after Executive Life blew up. 40 years ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you would take that. What was the yeah. other question for us? But I'm not recommending okay. that you take money and go buy the commercial annuity. Right. Understand. Understand. So, um, as I mentioned, I've been paired, pairing back my equities exposure over the years. And, uh, up until last year, I was heading towards a goal of 50, 50. And again, currently I'm at 65, 30 and five, uh, I paused that partly based on, you know, things I've learned from listening to your show is that you need to consider your Social Security and your pension as fixed income portion of your portfolio. That's that's correct. And that resonated with me. And I'm going, huh, well, maybe 50-50 is too conservative, giving the pension and the Social Security. That's right. Maybe I should rethink that and target a 70-30 for the rest of my life. Well, but the pension's off but, the table now. But if I take that, and that's right, and that's where I was going with this question, is if I take that pension, what would you guys 60, think 40. is a 60-40? 60-40. Yeah, look, look. You're sophisticated enough. You've lived around a long time. You've been through these markets up and down. Um, you the key the key really is to make sure you've got enough money outside of the equities markets to provide whatever retirement income you're going to need for five plus years. That's the key, right? And whatever right. that number is, is that number. So sixty forty is going to get you there, and then some. Okay. I think so too. Okay. It will get you there. And then some, I think that you actually have a great understanding of this. Um, thank you for actually crediting our show for some of that understanding, but I doubt that's a hundred percent true. You would have got it somewhere else. You would have gotten it somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, probably from nicer people. Um, <laughs> but no, not as funny. Yeah, you're, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. You've done a great job. Take the lump sum, roll it into an IRA and let her rip. Okay. Well, thanks for your advice, guys. All right. I appreciate, appreciate it, Pat. Hi, Pat. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye bye. That's refreshing. <laughs> what do you mean? He had a very uh, good understanding of his finances. The people who need this the most are the not listening. They're not listening. No, they're not listening. Yeah, nor would they. <laughs> and they said, "Man, I wish I could be like that guy." <laughs> you know, like, okay, <laughs> well then start acting like that yeah, guy. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's continue on here. We're in Missouri talking with Keith. Keith, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Yes. Good afternoon. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, I have one question and maybe unanswerable, but it is, can I afford to self-fund my long-term care? Well, let's figure it out. And the second question, can you afford to buy long-term care insurance? Uh, I possibly could. I would prefer not to if I, if I felt safe. And I mean, one of the, it's, that market is just a the long-term care insurance market's a disaster. Yeah. It's uh, there's, uh, roughly 10% of the premiums uh, being paid today, policies being, excuse me, policies issued today than 20 some years ago. Like mm. it used well, to be because, well, there's no one underwriting them. Not many, very few. Not many insurance carriers want to be in the, the business anymore. And they've jacked up the premiums to the point where people look at it and like, Ooh. Um, so tell us about your situation. Well, I have uh, approximately $2 million total assets. About half of that is in IRA. The rest is in taxable investments and also my home equity. Uh, the house is paid off. So uh, of the million dollars that's in taxable, you're including the home equity in that as well? Uh, yes. And how much is how much is in a brokerage account that taxable and how much is actually in the home equity? What are the dollar amounts? Uh, the taxable brokerage accounts have... About three hundred and three hundred twelve thousand. Okay. I have about four hundred thirty-one thousand in a money market. 
And then and the, the remainder is, is the home. So two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars in the house. Uh, uh, Forty-one thousand in uh, U.S. Uh, uh, I bonds. Okay. And then two sixty. And Keith, home. how old are you? Uh, Sixty-eight. Are you married? Yes, I am. She's sixty-seven. And what kind of income do you have coming into the household? Uh, n- about ninety thousand a year. And where's that coming from? Uh, solely from railroad retirement pension. And it, so you're not taking any income from your IRA or your other savings? No. Yeah, you can self-insure. Yeah, but Scott, what, 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 he can. He can. No, I mean, you, but he, you clearly could because you've got $90,000 a year coming in. Let's assume you're, you require long-term care. That's well, let's, let's 80000 a year. Let's assume that when you received that pension that you took a joint and full life for your wife. Is that correct? Uh, I'm not quite sure how to be sur- uh, described. I think it's a survivor full That's, life. Okay, survivor yeah, yeah. full life. All right, so it pays the same amount to her as it would to you whether you're there or not, correct? No, actually, no. Uh, right, 50%. I a railroad retirement uh, annuity. I guess it's more like it's an annuity, not a pension. And she draws a spousal benefit. And where I'd pass, she would receive my primary benefit and would lose the spousal portion. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank okay. You. Okay. So w- would you consider a, uh, like a, um, an asset base? Yeah, so if you were going to look at it, like, so here's how I look at it. Um, right now, you're not spending any of your savings. No, in fact, we are still saving money. Our average expenses last 12 months were about 4400 a month or uh, 33 well, you better tighten up. I don't know why you're only saving this. this. <laughs> so you've you've got roughly look one point seven million, one point seven five in savings. That's right. So let's assume you earn just four percent on those dollars. That's seventy thousand dollars a year of income without even touching your principal, of which you don't, frankly, don't really need because you're not using it to support your lifestyle today. Uh, not currently. Uh, my my plan when I retired six years ago was to try to live on my income or less than until such time as inflation or my medical expenses caught up with me and uh, I had to start drawing from my savings. Well, so you've I done was, that. I was at a memorial service this week. This week, uh, 84-year-old gentleman, he was 84, Alzheimer's, 13 years. Okay, he wasn't institutionalized the whole time, but very long uh, those are the kind of things, if you're going to have insurance, you'd want insurance for the really long um, issues. But most long-term care insurance is only, they only pay for a couple 30, years. 30 but, months or so, 36 months. So, Scott, I, I have this question. So, he could self-insure. Or, or use an asset-based, like a, a life insurance, a single-pay life insurance contract that has a long-term care benefit associated with it. And what you're giving up when you purchase those is the earnings on the deposit. And let's say you bought something that covers both you and your wife. Let's say you put in 200 grand into this policy. The assets still yours. If you don't need the care, it's still yours. Or, and it, it, when you pass away that those, that those dollars are going to go to your heirs. And if you have long-term care, you need long-term care. It's going to draw down that balance until it hits zero. At which point an insurance Rider kicks in to continue the payments. So essentially, what you're doing is you're self-insuring your yourself for the two hundred thousand dollars. In my example, there, yeah, it, right. And so that is an alternative. In fact, you might find that that will provide the most comfort for you since you're not actually living on any portion of your brokerage account now, and it would actually provide you coverage. The Difference is that you're going to be giving up any upside, but you're giving away all the backside too. So uh, if you were sitting down, if you were my uncle or my older brother, I would say, yes, you can self-insure, but take a look at an take- asset. It's the, and you wait, if you, you can self-insure, but to Pat's point, if it gives you some peace of mind by having a, a policy in place that'll help fund some of your care, some or all of your care, then take a look at that. Yes. But it, uh, I would do it in the asset-based. The asset-based life insurance. And they call, look, we're not huge fans and we're not life insurance salesmen. It is an alternative. You're fine either way. Just take a look at them. They're called asset-based long-term care or asset-based 
life insurance policies with long-term care riders inside of them. But even if you had a 13-year long uh, Alzheimer's, you could still self-insure with this portfolio. That's Based right. upon what you've just told us. Oh, okay. Well, that's the risk that, that really scares me is most people don't live that long once they go to skilled nursing. They don't. That's right. Right. Those are, that's, yeah, no big deal, right? What if I do? That's right. Well, you don't want to, at age 69, suddenly you're in a skilled nursing facility for the next decade and you're, you're worried about your spouse. Right. And I suppose, you know, my health is good, but I, anything can happen. That's yeah. right. So that's why in your situation, I'd look for that kind of uh, asset base. And if I were your advisor, I'd tell you to spend a little bit more money. And long, the long-term care insurance is really challenging. It's important that we all plan for the, how are we going to cover the care if should we need it? And they say almost everyone's going to need some sort of care, which is why the insurance is so expensive. This is All Worth Money Matters. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of All Worth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Right, welcome back to All Worth's Money Matters. So, Pat, I told you why, why I don't tell anyone they should spend more money. So this was, you don't suggest it. Well, I'll tell you the story, and then okay. here's what, why, what changed about me. Uh, this was in, I don't know, probably mid-90s. I had this uh, couple, retired. He took a, a pension lump sum and had the money in his IRA and growing. He had a 401k rollover, just growing, and they lived off their Social Security. That's all they spent was their Social Security. House was paid for. Very modest lifestyle. And so I'm watching this 401k. I mean, this IRA just continued to grow, and so... I'd suggest, you know, why don't you take some money out um, this retirement account here? And Anyway, so one time um, the gentleman comes in without a spouse, and I said, where's Susie? And he says, well, that's what I want to talk to you about. So he says, well, Susie feels that every time she's in here, you call her a cheapskate. Because you wanted them to spend more money. Yes. And psychologically, that was going to make them happier. Having the money in the account would, would make her happier. Correct. For whatever reason. Yep. So as a young advisor, I realized I'm... It's none of your business? Look, if somebody is spending too much and that's going to cause damage to their lives, then I'll let them know. Having too much money is a good problem. It's not a bad... I guess, right? I mean, right. of problems, it's not, it's not a problem. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So. I, but I do recommend to clients or gifting. And I had a client... Said, I actually thought it was what he said. He was gifting his sons the minimum. And uh, three the minimum, three, uh, the, 17 grand a year, yes, or whatever. Yeah, you can, you can. yeah. So that uh, you could, and I explained how it, they're going to receive the money at his death, or you could pass it on while you're living. And he called me up a year later and said, I'm going to give them each a bunch of money. And I said, What changed? And he said, I want it to be from um, a warm heart and not a cold hand. I'm like, wow. And I'm like, so what happens if they spend it in a manner that you don't <laughs> like? And he said, well, I'm comfortable enough now after giving these mo the money year watch over year to watch what they've done that it's not a concern. So but if you go to gift a lot of money to someone or give it to them, remember, you don't have any control over what they do with that money. Zero. Yes. And yeah. if you have control, it's not a completed gift. That's right. All right. Let's, um, we're continuing on. We've, we're going to, we're going to talk with Steve Ruby. Steve is uh, one of our certified financial planners in our Cincinnati office. But Steve, what's interesting about him is he hosts our, we have a daily radio program in Cincinnati that airs on, um, the radio. And, but he's out in our Cincinnati office. And, but before Steve joined Allworth, he had some other jobs at financial services firms where his job there was to sell. And so we thought we'd have Steve just to kind of share. And I, I've got a little list here of questions or what it asks. It lists the actual names of the firms. I'm going to leave the names of the firms out just because. So, uh, Steve, you started your, your career. Are you with us, Steve, by the way? Yeah, I am. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for taking a little time. So you started at uh, one of these very large firms 
that has branches that people go into, and oftentimes people do self-directed stuff there. Um, yes, correct. Uh, you say the goal there was to sell something to just about everyone. What do you mean by that? Oh, oh yeah, it's a it's a well-tuned machine that they've built. So as you mentioned, I'm in Cincinnati, and there's there is a big brokerage firm that has a presence here where a lot of the advisors in the industry, they come up through this brokerage firm. And I spent time there myself as little as I could, in fact, uh, about five years because they, they have a wonderful vesting schedule, but that's neither here nor there. Um, this role, if you've ever called, let's say you've separated from an employer and, and you have an old 401k and you call that custodian, if you call to move money out, you, oftentimes the service person that you talk to is going to transfer you to some kind of a uh, retirement specialist or a rollover specialist. In reality, what that is is a group that is trying to retain the business. That's what that is. And and, and the role that I had at this brokerage firm was kind of a hybrid opportunity where, where we not only retained the business, but we also welcomed people to their 401k. So it was kind of the reciprocal of that where we were trained to be sales machines, and the goal was to have a, a consultative conversation where we would ask open-ended questions and uncover the hidden need to sell whatever retail solution that we could. And, and that was to every person that we talked to. And did that you was, was your compensation, did it vary based upon the kind of products or services you sold? Yeah. What, what do you think the answer to that was? Yes. That's good. Yes. So the what, salary was was meager. The, the 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 goals were paid based on how many new accounts we opened, how how much flows we brought in. So it was an interesting model because we we also got we got transfers from other people in the organization, most notably the four hundred one k service team. And, and I'm talking things like if somebody called to to increase contributions to their four hundred one k, that's great. But they get transferred to our group, and the expectation is is to have a, a conversation about whether or not this decision makes the most sense for you. Can I ask you some questions? We'll explore that and maybe share some ideas. Sure, people tend to appreciate that type of, you know, offering. And and the goal there at that point was to, you know, that's great. Congratulations on saving more money. But rather than putting that into your 401k, how about we open a Roth IRA and you start putting in two hundred dollars a month? Because you get compensated. Yeah. yeah. And so what, account. what kind of, would you, would, were, were there annuity sales involved in this or what, what other products were involved? Yes. So when we could identify an opportunity that crossed a certain dollar threshold, you had mentioned, Scott, that this organization has uh, branches across the country. The goal at that point would be to get these uh, prospects into one of the branches where, you know, those people, they're paid handsomely to sell annuities to sell the managed solutions. Uh, in the role that I was in, it was to create that crossover retail relationship for active uh, 401k plan participants any way we could. Maybe it was a 529 because we know that they have a grandchild or a child. Maybe it was the Roth so, IRA. Maybe it was a cash management account or self-directed account. But if there was a certain dollar threshold, yes, the expectation was that we got them somewhere else and that somewhere else would then make the annuity sale. And so you started in this firm right out of college, right? Um, uh, close enough. Okay. It was a career yeah. switch for me. Okay. But. All right. But that's how you got your launched in financial services. I imagine early on you thought this is how things just work. And then my guess is you became a little disgruntled after a period of time realizing mm, this isn't, uh, we're not always serving our clients best interests. Yeah. They'll train the heck out of you. I got five securities licenses while I was there. I became a certified financial planner while I was there. The, the last straw was when leadership at one point, you know, I, I did well at the work that I did, and I thought I was helping people. And, and I would like to think that I really did help a lot of people, but it, it was all about suitability. It was finding a reason to be able to sell something and backing it up with that. I became a certified financial planner when I was there. And leadership at one point pulled me aside and said, hey, maybe, maybe pump the brakes on opening with the fact that you're a certified financial planner. And and I asked, are you serious? Why would I do that? I just worked so hard to become right. And 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 the answer was pretty much, you, if you're going to serve as a fiduciary, then you shouldn't be trying to sell this stuff to every person that you talk to. And that's what the job is. Needless to say, I found another job pretty quickly. And so you found a job after that, you went to one of the uh, large Wall Street firms. 
Yeah, right? I, I went to what one owned by a, a big bank. We'll put it that way. So okay. again, we're leaving the names off. And and you know, kind of the thought process there was to to join one of these financial advisor teams that has full service offerings. Uh, build my own book of business. You know, maybe I get experience and I go back to a different role at the firm that I ran away from for more money because that was what was front and center. Uh, when 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 you're working in in these big bank settings, uh, the advisors there are paid 100% commission, 100%. So the 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 motivating factor in that situation is finding ways to, to, to sell, to sell all the time. And this is a systematic thing too, because the, the goals that these advisors have uh, obviously are set by leadership in these organizations and it rains down. So y you're forced to pigeonhole your clients into solutions that may or may not be in their best interest. It's like, you know, going into a shoe store and you wear a size eight and they say, oh, great, we have just what you need. Here's a size six. We're going to make it work. Got it. And so you weren't acting as a fiduciary there either. Oh, no, no. At, at the end of the day, no. You, you think that you have the ability to do so when you have a full service brokerage firm behind you. But when, but when your goals are tied to forcing people to take on home loans from the bank, only using that bank for car loans, uh, opening bank accounts and credit cards and, and using their self-directed, you know, platform if they had some some outside assets that they wanted to trade on. So yes, you could, you could help somebody with all of it at the same time. And I thought that that was a cool feature. But at the end of the day, it doesn't sit right when you're forced to use only the solutions offered by that bank. My grandfather used to say is all you have is a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. Um, yep. So at some point you decided wait, that this wait, wasn't... Uh, wait, so, Scott, can I? So did they give you cross-sell quotas? This is interesting because I've never talked to anyone that actually worked in this. I've heard about it. So when, the idea. Because they don't tell you the full skinny when they're working there. Okay. Right? No. You know, people no. who work for the big banks. Yes. You're, 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 they're not going to give you a candid answer knowing what, that yeah. you're a fiduciary, a leader of an REA. I, I have asked someone before, I'm like, <laughs> is the size of your office and its location in the building dependent upon um, um, how much you, you do sell. something? Yes. Cross-selling so would be they expect you to do so many mortgages a year or so many referrals for auto or so many credit card or so many other things because obviously it's a big bank. Did you Were you given a quota or we just rewarded for that behavior or yeah, were you punished I should've, for I should've highlighted, lack of I should have highlighted that a little bit because when I say it's systematic, yes, those goals are tied to your compensation entirely to the point where you, you can make it a sliding scale, maybe 35 to 45 percent of the commissions that you actually generate go to you as your, your bottom line paycheck. If you don't cross sell to a certain percentage of your entire book each year, different products and solutions, then the percentage that you get paid out goes down for that year. And it can go down the next year. If you do meet those goals, then instead of getting you know paid out 40%, you could be up to 41% now. So you are motivated heavily to continuously find ways to cross sell these solutions that again may not be that guy that you know what that, that you just think about that here you are trying to do the what's in the client's best interest you're thinking about you're trying to put them yourself in their shoes right um offering some solutions and then in the back of your head you're thinking well if i can get them to do a home equity loan uh, I'm going to get an extra comp, not just on this client, but all my clients, because I have, I have to do six of these a year or whatever the number is. So were you ever, yeah. were you, were you ever operating Steve as a fiduciary while you were doing this? To the best of my ability, to the point where leadership would sometimes get a little bit upset <laughs> when I was too honest about somebody not needing something. And that's, that's fine because I want to be able to sleep at night. So, but, but, but did they hold, they, did they, did they hold themselves out as a fiduciary, this firm? Not always. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Okay. I had a unique opportunity where I actually worked with 170 financial advisors as kind of an extension of the team. And some of them, I will say that there, there are plenty of good advisors out there that, that do their best to do the right thing for their clients at some of these places. But at the same time, they're, they're still forced to operate under the realm of the expectations of their employer. Got it. 
and and that in and of itself is a conflict in my opinion. And when was when was the time did you make the decision to to leave that life? I, I mean, it, while I was at 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 this big big bank, I, I was looking for opportunities. I was looking for the right opportunity to to land at a place where I would spend you know the rest of my career, and that was networking and and looking for for everybody I could to to land at at a registered investment advisor where I'm expected to behave as a fiduciary. It, you know, it was frustrating at, at, at places where I've had my own book of business prior to this. We we could not help, for example, our clients with an active 401k investment allocation or help with their health savings accounts or their 529 investments. As a fiduciary financial planner, we have a responsibility to ensure that our clients have uniform investment strategies across their entire portfolio. So a registered investment advisor firm that allows you to do that is just one example, is something that I was obviously looking for because I wanted to be a fiduciary and treat clients the way that I, that I think they deserve and should be treated. So based on your last experience, like what are some warning signs or like key words that I think people should need to be aware of when they're interacting with some a so-called financial expert? At, I guess could I mean, be these sort of models or any any other kind of model for that matter. Yeah, I mean, you asked me just a moment ago. You asked me were you a fiduciary at those places? And I almost feel like I danced around the answer a little bit. Anybody that does that when they're talking about their place of employment, steer clear. Because if they're not acting as a fiduciary, then then why why do you need to work with them when there's people out there that offer holistic financial planning? On that note, do they offer financial planning? I, I, I come with the opinion that there are firms out there that just ask you a series of questions, a basic questionnaire to determine your risk tolerance, and that that determines your entire portfolio strategy. That's how it was for me at these other places. When you're actually building a financial plan that looks at the ins and outs of your entire financial situation, it gives the advisor the opportunity to understand the level of risk that you need to take to meet your financial goals and that you can afford to take based on your financial situation. So make sure that who you're working with is going to offer financial planning. Take that a step further. How are they going to help you implement any strategies that they recommend? Do they have the capabilities to help you file your taxes, help you with tax planning? Do they have the capabilities to offer estate planning? Things like that. So, um, you know, and, and uh, just to make clear, Steve is an employee of Allworth, but there are many, many firms like Allworth across right. the United there States. Are, for sure. Right? There the are independent many independent advisory firms. Independent advisory firms that are every bit as good um, as the services that we offer. So to not make this look like a commercial, we're biased to this model. So let me – so, hey, Steve, I just yeah, want to say – Yeah, fair enough. I agree. Thank, thank you very much for taking the time to, to, to join we, us. We here. appreciate your insight. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, and, Pat, what like – a lot of people in our in this in the independent space started at these large national firms, right? We did, we did, right? And but the, no one migrates the other direction. Hmm. <laughs> Let me think. I mean, that tells you something right there. People don't migrate the other other way. You don't hear about somebody leaving um, an independent uh, firm and going to work for whatever. I'm trying to think. Do you know anybody? I know plenty of people who've left the other direction. I don't know of anyone. Anyway. Okay. All right. We've beaten that one. Let's go. Yeah, appreciate it. Let's um let's talk now with Pat. Pat, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi guys. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I had a couple of questions. Um uh thanks for the chance to to send them in and to chat with you on the phone. Uh so uh, the first question is, uh, I'm, I'm nearing age 70, so I'm, I'm, I'm 68, and I got uh, 15 more months till I hit age 70. I'm planning on, I'm, I dropped down in my work to half time uh, in July, and I'm planning on my contract ends in um, uh, on my birthday, actually pretty close to my birthday in April of okay. next year, or of 20 of whatever it is, 25. And and so I'm I'm planning on stopping work, and uh, I had been planning on taking Social Security starting at age 70. Uh, however, I some things have come up. So one is 
My wife has uh, been a stay-at-home mom and a stay-at-home grandma for 46 years and doesn't have 40 quarters. She doesn't have her own security, Social Security. So her Social Security is based on my income. And yeah, you know the drill there. But one of the things is she's four years younger than I am. And so we're also right in that uh, that period where the uh, full Social Security age shifts from 66 to mm-hmm. 67, right? So I'm at 66 years, two months. She's at 66 years, 10 months. So when I hit age 70, she's not quite at full Social Security age yet. So there's this big question is, when do I start taking Social Security? Should I wait till age 70 and max out mine, but uh, wait, wait till starting hers to max out hers, or should I take them both at the same time, or should I actually, uh, another thing came up is since I went down to half time, I actually don't make quite enough to uh, manage our cash flow, and I would have to, in January, start withdrawing from my um, my retirement accounts uh-huh. to supplement my income in order to keep our lavish uh, lifestyle uh, going what is your, uh, at the current level. What What is your account balances in your IRAs and 401ks? Yeah, so I have a traditional IRA that I've been carrying for a while, uh, adding, shifting um, um, uh, uh, 401ks and things too. And that that balance is about, uh, oh, let's see, it's 2.1. And then I also have a SEP IRA. In 2015, I shifted from being an employee to my own uh, sole proprietorship. I do I do uh, software project management consulting okay. uh, with the state of California. And so in that consulting business, I've got about uh, 250 uh, in the Sapphire. So the total is about 2.4 million. All right. And are you still self-employed? Yeah. Yeah. And your wife I have em- a contract with the state and I make about two, 250. How many quarters does your wife need? How many quarters does she need? Oh, she would need, she would need 20. She worked oh, like okay. three years out of our entire married right. life, and and she gets half of mine. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Get, no, the reason nothing. the reason the reason <laughs> I ask that question is, um, in some situations, the, the 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 spouse may be performing some duties for the business, right. and at yeah. that point in time, should be paid yeah. and uh, paid in for Social Security in order to qualify them. I did but the that's math not the case. on that, and. You know, pay, paying self-employment tax on, you know. Oh, I understand. No, I get it. Yeah, I get it. You notice we didn't, you notice we didn't, we didn't continue on. Uh, yeah, no, we just, no, we, we just asked the question. <laughs> yeah. I, you, right. You've got yeah, to. My, um, my social security is going to be, you know, my P, whatever that number is, your average, your AIME, it's not, I, oh, yeah. all those acronyms I've been learning about social security is like nine, almost 10,000. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. Pat, the, the best way to go about making a decision is to really run the numbers yeah. in conjunction uh-huh. with uh-huh. your other finances, because right. the, the, by, by, if you started it early, so when you said your plan was to start social security and have that supplement for a, a, a couple of years, and if you instead chose to uh, defer that, then you have to start drawing down on your assets today. Right. So it has an impact on your There's you know, amount of assets. Cost, you have. Right. That's right. That's a hundred percent there. And then you plug in. Yeah. What's your what, what? How's your health? Yeah. Yeah. So my health is better, a little better than my wife. She's on some, you know, blood pressure medication, that kind of thing. I'm I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. Um, but so, uh, yeah, we did the, just kind of did the 20 year, you know, I turned 70. So let's say if we go, if I go 90 and she goes 86, you know, what's, what are the numbers? And it, it also looked like I did the, I did run the math and it said like it was about 12 year, 12 years to break even. Yeah. But there's, there's a net present value calculation that needs to be run on that. Okay. Uh-huh. But it's still about that bad. And yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, so the answer is you need to actually run the numbers. Run the you numbers. Do the math you have to. There's actually, no magic. Always do this. No, no, no. There, it's on a scale. You could actually. It looks like a bell curve okay. on all the different opportunities. Yeah. So yeah. our social security planning software actually integrates with our income planning software that integrates with the asset management, I and see. then it says. If I assume this rate of return, that's right. If I start Social Security, this is my crossover, 
right? right. What's, it, what's my net worth look like today, next Five year, years, three years? years yeah. 15 Based years. upon these income needs with this assumed inflation, et cetera. And you need to, you need to pay a couple thousand dollars for someone for that advice. That's just the reality of it because there's no right, right answer. I could ballpark it for you and say, well, and what's, have, you, have your wife considered taking Social Security today? She didn't qualify. Oh, well, have the she 40 can't, quarters. She can't take she? it until I file. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's she right. can yeah, only yeah. get it. Yeah. 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 Now, that's the right. other thing is, I, I, I thought I'd throw this out there. My actual original question, um, I've, I've kind of answered, but it might be interesting to others on the phone, is that there is this thing called a family maximum I learned about. That's right. Um, and I thought that that was because I thought that was going to come into play here. But um, as I've been reading, it seems like that only comes into play for a uh, for retirement benefits if there's more than two, if there's at least three people drawing on the same core income. I don't know if you. Yeah, otherwise, the, what typically happens, the maximum so, benefit is going to it's already calculated when they calculate your monthly your monthly amount. It's already in there. Yeah, when I when I did mine and my wife's originally, uh, the total came up over the family maximum amount, but then it said, you know, I, I kept searching on that and it said, oh, the family maximum only applies if there's three or more people drawing on the same same earner's income, not not just a person and the spouse. So yeah. maybe that doesn't apply. We could get into the, yeah. I mean, how many times do you have to be married in order to get there? Well, or you have kids. Uh, well, I think uh, it have usually a couple applies kids. when you have kids yeah. with this, or you have disability. Uh, oh yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I mean, all these permeations. Yeah, yeah the only way you're going to get there is actually just to do the. Yeah, you got to run the numbers. You have to do it. Otherwise, we're just making stuff up. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I mean, remember the good old if days. If were me, the, I would take it. Get based on your assets. Remember the good old days of the file and suspense, Scott. Oh, they were confusing days. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of moving parts then. There's still a lot of moving parts. That's why we use software. That's all the time we have. It's been great being with you. This has been Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence. At Allworth, we believe financial guidance should come with more client focus and less lip service, more complete advice with fewer trade-offs, and more interest in doing what's right for you, not what's best for us. We call it uncompromised wealth management. For you, it means a client-first approach from full-time advisors backed by a support team of financial professionals, ensuring you get the fully dedicated, distraction-free guidance you and your money have earned. And while other advisors overpromise and underdeliver, with Allworth, you can count on intelligent, customized, comprehensive financial and investment strategies that move your whole wealth forward. It also means our advice is designed to align with your best interests, not line our own pockets, promising you transparent pricing, no surprises or conflicts. Simply put, when you succeed, we succeed. That's uncompromised wealth management because your financial future deserves better. Call 833-GO-ALLWORTH or visit allworthfinancial.com to talk with an advisor today.